I've been thinking more about that uh, gay Santa thing that I brought up. Right. And I'm actually wondering also if Rudolph's nose is red because of syphilis. <laughs> I'm expecting you to have an answer. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, is a symptom of syphilis like uh, light? Light? <laughs> yeah, light, because it's not just that it's red. There's another symptom. Are you saying Thomas Edison also had syphilis? <laughs> yeah, he gave it to a bulb. Right. And called it, he called it electricity. And then the bulbs just spread it everywhere because it's so yeah. contagious. <laughs> yeah, it's the world's most useful STD. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's why Rudolph got it. So because like Santa was going around for years, not really seeing where he was going and just like running into houses and stuff. Okay. And they're like, what if we just give Rudolph syphilis and then we can see where we're going? <laughs> I feel like you're just ruining Christmas for people right now. Well, okay, so I watched The Nick, and that's when I learned that syphilis is, like, insane. Because that's what would happen, right? People, like, lose their noses. Right, yeah, they become uh, very disfigured. Yeah, it used to be, like, a big deal. Is syphilis still a thing that people can get, or is it just, is it is it eradicated or just so under control that when you get it, you're pretty much fine? I have no idea. Uh because I can't, I I can't speak from experience, but I mean, the show The Nick um, is full of all kinds of period-appropriate body horror. Yeah, and you ne- you never quite know if it's accurate to the time or if it's just in keeping with the themes of the show and its overall aesthetic. I guess we'll have to get Rudolph on the podcast, right? Yeah, to clear this up. Yeah, that's the only way. Rudolph the syphilitic reindeer. <laughs> syphilitic. Imagine, like, that's how kids learn about STDs. They just <laughs> they just give STDs to various, like, Frosty the Snowman has gonorrhea. <laughs> and, like, um, yeah, that, this is a weird start. It's just, I, I didn't do this. No, it's my fault, for sure. <laughs> um, at work today, oh, I shouldn't start a sentence like that. Let me start again. Why, because you started with the word at? Yes. You never start a sentence with a preposition. Okay. Um, so I was thinking today, for some reason, about the last good role that Jack Nicholson had, because the movie that we watched for the podcast today is called The Descendants. Um, it's a 2011 dramedy starring George Clooney from a director called Alexander Payne, who I really, really like. Uh, in the last 15 years, I think he's had four films and all of them have been worth talking about and thinking about. Um, <clears throat> but anyway, uh, Jack Nicholson was in an amazing movie from 2003 called About Schmidt, uh, which has a similar kind of uh, framing as The Descendants. And I was thinking about Jack Nicholson's uh, best role prior to that, and it would have been as good as it gets. You're not putting Batman on the list? No, I I have to grow up, so I have to stop thinking about Batman. How hard was that for you? Oh, you don't even know, man. Like, if I don't stop myself, I'll think about Batman a couple times a day. Like, <laughs> yeah. Have you ever done one of your impressions in a work meeting? No. That would be so fun. 
No, I, I don't want uh, middle management to think I'm weird. And I, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, previous to Avoid Schmidt, there's this movie called uh, As Good As It Gets. It's like a kind of a thinking man's rom-com uh, from the late 90s. And Wait, why are we talking about Doug Nicholson? Uh, because this is my breadcrumb Asperger's brain at work. Um, Jack Nicholson starred in another Alexander Payne movie that I liked. And Alexander Payne directed the movie that we watched today. Oh, okay, okay. Do you follow right. the thread? I'm starting to feel, yeah, connected dots. Okay, okay. So About Schmidt is about a, uh, a disgruntled uh, elderly author uh, with obsessive compulsive disorder who is very famous and very successful, but also um, like a, a very spiteful, homophobic, misogynistic uh, uh, man. And so the movie is about him... Uh, kind of coming out of his shell and uh, embracing uh, the world around him and conquering his OCD. Anyway, somebody asked him in that film how he writes women so well. And his response is a really famous line, but it's it's problematic. I'll say that up front. <laughs> his, res- his response is, I think of a man and I take away all reason and accountability. And the reason that that uh, line is problematic is not just because it's misogynistic, because it's it's okay to explore like misogyny in a work of fiction, but it's played for a laugh and it's delivered like uh, in a in a comedic way. Um, so you know, if the movie had taken that joke and sort of uh, made him out to be an asshole for saying it, then uh, it would not be problematic. You know what I mean? It all depends how you frame the problem. Yeah. And like what what sort of emotion or reaction you want to elicit from the audience. But it got me thinking, like if if someone were to come up to you and say, like, Anthony, like future writer of comedy, uh, how do you write disabled people so well? You could you'd be like, I think of an able bodied man and I take away his dignity <laughs> and accessibility. Right. I picture him with no limbs <laughs> and he gets around on a bus that's always late. <laughs> and that was a really long setup for maybe a joke that wasn't worth it, but I thought that's where you were I thought this was headed to a joke. And I was like, maybe he just really wants us to know about Jack Nicholson. <laughs> and then I was like, maybe he really likes the movie about Schmidt. And he's pitching that we watch it. Well, did you? Okay, so let's let's explain for a brief moment the plot of uh, the Descendants. No, no, no. I think we should explain more roles that Jack Nicholson has been in first. <laughs> Before we started watching this movie, you and I had a bit of. Well, I, I've never seen the movie, but you pitched it, and then you were concerned that it wasn't going to fit what we're trying to do. And my response was like, we can't not have a disabled perspective. Like everything we're going to say is going to have that perspective. Like we could watch any movie and probably have some conversation about disability attached to it. And I think that's what's innately cool about anyone talking about their own experience is like you can't strip them of that no matter like what angle of life they're talking about they're still looking at it through that perspective through that lens yeah yeah 
So we could do like a disabled reading of. Um, uh, we could Amanda. read the back of a Domino's pizza box. <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. Is there anything on the back of a Domino's pizza box? One time in the middle uh, of, or in, you know how like when you order pizza, there's like special delivery instructions. Right. Like, drop it, bring it to the back door or whatever. I wrote, please include a pizza-related poem <laughs> on the pizza box. Yeah. And they delivered. No way. Someone actually wrote like a haiku in the, inside the pizza box about pizza. And it was one of the coolest like little things that's ever happened. And that was the start of your love affair with a delivery person? Yeah, I never met him or her, but uh, I was really hoping I also like said... And also put your number there. Right. You just put a lot of like Italian sausage in the center of the pizza. (laughs) (laughs) Please uh, make all the pepperoni phallically centered in the middle of the pizza. (laughs) So the the plot of the Descendants. Yeah. I was worried um, that there was not a character in the Descendants who uh, qualified as disabled enough for us to talk about it critically here. Um, But as you say... With your pizza box analogy, um, that could never happen. The uh, the plot of the Descendants um, basically it centers around this uh, family who live in Hawaii. Um, Hawaii. Yeah, uh, the husband is played by George Clooney, um, who is a wealthy and successful lawyer who actually loans a plot of land in the region that's worth several million dollars, uh, and he's like been. Did you say loans or owns? Owns. Did I say that? Oh, I I meant owns. So um, George's wife uh, was recently in a boating accident. Uh, she's like uh, water skiing, I guess, on a motorboat. And she uh, hits her head and uh, um, is in a coma. She hits her head on the water, right? She hits her head on the side of something, I think. It's like an adjacent, oh. an adjacent boat. It's some kind of competition. She injures herself very, very badly. Yeah, the whole time I thought she somehow flew off the boat and just like the angle that she hit the water broke her neck. And that was insane because it is pretty nuts how water, like if you come at water the wrong way, it can (laughs) be devastating. Yeah, uh, someone once tried to uh, include me on a, what is that called? When like when you're on a raft and you're holding onto the raft for dear life and being pulled along in the water, is it called rafting? Rafting? I don't know, but it's blue water rafting. It's it's some bullshit able-bodied summer holiday or, or it's summer uh, uh, activity. Yeah, people have tried to include me on uh, this activity a couple times, and the problem is that I have enough upper body strength to kind of hold myself onto the board. But the entire time I'm thinking that I'm an inch away from imminent death and I'm just terrified. So I get like maximum spasticity and I'm literally just waiting for, for the experience to be over. <laughs> Cause I feel like, like, why do you agree to it though? Just to like fit in or you actually enjoy it? I mean, there's a lot of social pressure and there's, there's this kind of, uh, there's this sense that the, the people who are enabling you to participate in the activity have worked like pretty hard to kind of include you. So you don't want to say no. I think that's the difference between your disability and mine is that you're kind of on the cusp of able-bodied enough that your able-bodied friends are like, come on, what are you doing, Jamie? Just 
come on, don't be pansy or whatever. Yeah. Or just play play the game or do the sport or whatever. <laughs> they can invoke like like masculine peer pressure to be like, oh, your upper body can take it. Come on, bruh. Let, let, let's do this. Yeah, what are you doing? You have arms. That's what you can push your own chair, but you can't hold on to a string. What are those biceps for, dude? Yeah, exactly. Like, what do you yeah. work out all day for if not to do whitewater rafting? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, but for me, it's like people, if I'm participating in something, they're like, are you sure? You don't, it's, uh, like, uh, is this okay? Like, yeah, but I that. Die. That, I mean, that constant fear of your presumed fragility is like, I, I would think it is super annoying and condescending. It's kind of annoying sometimes. Because, yeah, like, I can handle maybe more than people give me credit for. Mm -hmm. But I also think because of that, maybe sometimes I overcompensate. And I definitely put myself in situations where probably I shouldn't be doing that thing. But I do it for the same reason you do it. It's like, you don't want to feel like the odd one out for every activity. Right. It's hard to figure out when something new is a pursuable activity or if it's something that might be genuinely unsafe for you under the circumstances. And there's really only one way to find out. And yeah, that exactly. Is you try it and hope you don't end up in a coma. Exactly. And then the thing is like, I, I have the same kind of anxiety whenever I go on amusement park rides, because in any amusement park ride, there's always these like provisions to lock you into the to the seat or whatever that you're going to be stuck in while the device twirls around a million times a second in a ridiculous uh fashion that is supposed to be somehow fucking amusing um but like the problem is that when you're able-bodied like you you kind of have the ability to preserve your balance and to cope if if something unexpected happens whereas like when you're spastic, you you don't really have time to react. You only have time to be afraid of not reacting. <laughs> <laughs> well, also your reaction, depending on the event, is to just get more spastic. Yeah. Which can become even more dangerous in some situations. Yeah. I remember one time uh, years ago, 2009 on a Tuesday, <laughs> I, went to, uh, I went to Mall of America with a very close friend of mine. It was like me and three other guys. And we went on this ride that was like, it was like a waterfall. Like you sit in this log and it looks quite like quaint. Uh, and it, it was like the least intimidating ride of, uh, of the entire exhibit. And you, you, so, yeah, you get in the log and you have this like little, little bar that you, that kind of sits in front of you, but you're not, you've, you've no seatbelt. There's nothing keeping your ass on the log. It's just <laughs> you like seated back properly. Um, and there was like almost nothing to hold on to. So I think you just had to have like a good center of gravity or there had to be a minimum number of people like to kind of uh, support you so you wouldn't fall off to one side. Um, and so it was just me and one other guy. And he was Wait, so the log is like pointing vertically or horizontally no the, the log is like on the ground it's like sitting on this like manufactured like little body of water and it's on it's on rails 
And then the rails kind of like you go along like horizontally for a few minutes and you think like, oh, this is just like a nice little excursion <laughs> or whatever. Like it's a yeah. nice way to like survey the mall. Um, and then all of a sudden, like as these rides go, you like you gradually start going up an incline. And and like my friend Steve didn't tell me that, you know, it eventually like peaks and then just fucking plummet down uh to to ground level oh god because because he because he he'd been trying to trick me into at least attempting a ride uh all day and i was like no i don't feel safe i hate them i'm scared i'm scared for my life on these things uh please don't make me go on one and he's like oh, no no it's okay dude fine we'll just go on this log <laughs> it's <laughs> so, trying to trick you into it's like it's a it's a small world kind of ride yeah like no no this is for little kitties like this is yeah. this is the kitty pool equivalent of amusement park rides if you don't go on this you are literally more fearful than a baby it's just a gondola ride around the park yeah they literally give you a soother to put in your mouth if you get a little bit too anxious yeah <laughs> so anyway i go flying down this fucking like water ride at like a million miles an hour for what feels like minutes upon minutes when really it's only like 10 seconds. Right. But what happened was I got so scared that I actually kind of like my spasticity, like popped me up off of my heels and I kind of jumped forward. And I thought there, there was like really honestly a second where like if the wrong momentum like happened to me on one side, I might've like tipped over the, the edge of the, of the log and like knack insists that that never ever could have happened there's no possible way but i literally felt it i fucking felt it and and we actually looked at the the picture of me the picture of me like at, at the worst point of the ride like when i was most terrified because that's obviously where the camera is set up to snap a photo yeah. and i literally look like I, i'm in full rigor mortis and i just have the worst, most painful look on my fucking face. <laughs> it was just, I, I don't think I've ever been more spazzed in my life. I want to see that picture. Uh, it's a picture of the monitor where you're supposed to go purchase the picture because we were all cheap shits at the time, like 21 years old or whatever. Yeah, no, that's fair. That's still amazing. Yeah, so anyway, the main character of the Descendants dies while doing some sort of water stunt of this nature, right? But the, we don't actually see the event happen. Well, she doesn't die. She ends up in a coma. Pardon me. She ends up in a coma, but she's technically brain dead. Right. So she's being kept alive by machines. And when I, because uh, I watched this movie by myself before I proposed it as part of the podcast, and it carried a lot of weight for me. Like, it, it's a really, really good film. Uh, and it's very much worth a watch. I almost don't want to spoil all the details of the movie just so people can go see it themselves. Well, let's just say, like, if you're going to watch, like, if you're interested, then watch it before you finish this episode. Yeah, please, like, stop what you're doing right now and take some time to watch it. It's a slow-moving film. Like, the average shot length is, like, several seconds. Like, it really it takes its time. But where it finds its engagement and momentum is in the is in how it explores the grief of this woman's family as they uh, try to cope with her absence and her eventual death. And it sounds like super morose, but it's, but there's so much going on. And I, I just loved it. And I thought that like she, the mother, 
is kind of a prop. She's not really a character fully realized in the sense that she has no no dialogue and no real physical presence uh, in the film. Uh, quite often, she's not, like she's not in many scenes. Most of the time, she's just sort of like a like a progressively atrophying like like body in a room. Excuse me. Yeah, I know. I didn't know how to describe that elegantly. I wound up sounding like I'm talking about a George Romero movie. No, you just sound like you're describing me. Oh, ta- what? <laughs> no, never. I would never describe you. <laughs> I would never describe you. Um, okay, where should we start here, Tony? Do you know why this movie meant so much to you? For a variety of reasons. Besides just that like, it was a visibly cool movie and you can tell it was thoughtfully shot and... You know, obviously the acting is all amazing. George Clooney's great. Charlene Woodley is her name. She's amazing. Yeah. Even like the younger kid is amazing. Everyone is really good. The acting is great. But there's something I think more to it than that. It's a disability movie superficially because someone's in a coma and so they're disabled. But I think it also talks a lot about how people cope with loss yeah i mean it's a reflection on uh grief yeah uh, in many forms um okay so at the start of the film george clooney explains that he's kind of at his his wits end he's enormously stressed out about this uh land deal that he he has to close soon uh, that most of his uh, community has a vested interest in him keeping well Basically, like, the overall plot of the movie is George Clooney's wife ends up in a coma, and he, in that moment, realizes what he might lose or what he could lose. And I think he realized up until that point, he took it for granted. And that spoke to me a lot because that's, like, when I say it deals well with loss, I more meant... Like, I I lose physical ability pretty quickly and pretty regularly. And so I've had to get good, or maybe not even good, but get used to uh, dealing with that. You you can't go through all the stages of grief every time you can't move a new finger. So it does deal with the stages of grief very well, even though it's not really trying to talk about disability in that sense. No, well... For me, uh, one of the uh, scenes at the start of the film that really stuck out from a disability perspective um, was when um, George has to deal with his daughter acting out uh, at her uh, middle school Yeah. Um, for an art class. She takes several pictures of her mother um, in the hospital sleeping and the her teachers sort of raise this to George as a problem because the photos are disturbing the children and they're, they're quite harmless. Like she's not taking any pictures of the mother, like in the nude or in any kind of like compromising way. She's just sort of lying there. So it kind of speaks to this sort of inherent fear that we have of more of our mortality and sort of what, like a change to the sort of like normal uh, physical body 
like means to a person's identity. Uh, in George's monologue, he says that over the past several years, he's been so subsumed by his work that he's been kind of uh, the backup parent, like quite absent in his family's life. And um, he hasn't really been there to raise the kids. Like he feels like somewhat of a stranger. Um, and he's angry at uh, Elizabeth. That's her name, the mother, because she's always been so drawn to dangerous sports. Like, What's the term? Like when you're, when you're a fearless kind of risk taker. Like an adrenaline junkie. Yeah. She's a total adrenaline junkie. Uh, she lives life to the fullest. Uh, she, Spends her disposable income. And by contrast, he's a lawyer. Mm -hmm. Like his job is the opposite thing. Yeah, he's very conservative, uh, even though his family, uh, due to owning such a significant plot of land um, in Hawaii, is like infinitely rich. He lives only off of uh, the proceeds from his law practice because he thinks that he uh, wants to, he only wants to give. He only wants to give his kids enough to do something and not enough to do nothing, uh, which is, a, I, I think, a pretty uh, cool philosophy. But uh, in any case, the point I was trying to make was that um, he's mad at her because I, I guess they've had quite a, a rocky marriage. Uh, and he sort of sees this accident as an imposition. And rather than sort of like, uh, feel remorse over what's happened to her. He's like in that kind of stage of grief where he's very angry. And uh, like him and the kids are afraid of what Elizabeth might be like if she wakes up. Um, is she going to be the same person that she was? Or is she going to be so disabled or so uh, like physically or mentally inhibited that she is no longer the person that they knew? Uh, and what will that mean? And for me, like that anxiety or that uncertainty must be what a lot of disabled, like parents of new disabled children must go through in the beginning, you know, cause we've talked about this a lot. There's like, no, there, there are no parenting books that I know of about how to raise a child with a permanent disability. Um, and so, yeah, it's just like, <clears throat> they're going through th this plurality of, of very well explored emotions like just even in the opening few scenes of the film and yeah it, it just really resonated with me why why did you think it was weird when they sh said that the pictures were upsetting the children like you think it would have been the same thing if she was showing pictures of a disabled person i think because the pictures were of an uncomfortable truth like like not befitting of the of the mood or the tone of a middle school art class did you ever have one of those like show and tell classes where you had to bring something in to try to demonstrate some story of your life when i was in grade four i wrote a speech about my cerebral palsy and i, Ooh, I did the same thing yeah i made it to the 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 regional finals and then you lost i don't know i i think i did lose because i wasn't sure how to answer the uh the final questions 
Like, like there are three judges asking three questions and I didn't know how to answer them. I remember I wrote a similar one about my own disability. It would have been funny if I wrote it about CP though. I wrote it about my disability and my teacher really wanted me. Like she was like, you win, go to the next thing. And for some reason I was like, I don't want to. Like, I just wanted to get this project done. I don't want to start touring. Yeah. And I I didn't do it. And then the next year, I kind of regretted it, but I didn't want to use the same speech. So I wrote another speech, and it was like a speech about how, you know, you start, you're wearing diapers, and people are feeding you, and then you end, and it's kind of the same thing. And it was like kind of tongue-in-cheek, but also a bit exploratory. And I won again, and I never, at that moment, I was like, this speech is not that good. I think I'm winning because I'm disabled. Yeah. And I felt stupid about it. So I went to the next one and basically self-sabotaged so I wouldn't go any further. How many times in your life have you said to yourself, I think I'm winning right now because I'm disabled? (laughs) Yeah, it works almost every aspect but dating. That's, I mean, yeah, there are perks here and there. Yeah, because you get away with so much because people are like, well, I mean, good for you for trying it. Like, they just assume that, well, maybe it's partially true, but they assume that you've had to jump through so many extra hoops to get to the same point. Mm -hmm. So they're like, well, if you've written a whole speech, how do you even write? It probably took you seven days to write the first paragraph. Just because, like, who can make a pen for you? I remember my dad scouring Encyclopedia Britannica in 1995 for the formal definition of the causes of cerebral palsy. And I remember him, like, methodically going through it with me so that it, so that it sounded like it was coming from my voice. And it was really sweet of him to do that. Because he he wasn't really the type of parent who had the patience to help kids with their homework, but he did it anyway because he thought he had to. Well, he probably realized that that was an important thing for you to do. Yeah. Because for me, it was maybe the only time in my life where I actually tried to understand the science of my disability. Yeah. Yeah, me too. Even after that, I never really cared. I, I, I knew and I know enough to understand what will help and what won't help. But beyond that, I don't really know like what's going on. I just know what works and what doesn't. When I was a kid, I remember uh, if the, if adults were having a lot of conversation about me relative to my walker, it usually meant either a physiotherapist was going to try to introduce a new regiment of exercises or it meant that I was about to have another surgery soon, or it meant that another social worker was about to come look after me again. (laughs) Uh, So some sort of change was afoot that usually was not going to be something that I enjoyed. So I always wanted to get away from it. Yeah. Especially when you're getting AFOs, all those changes are afoot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good one, Tony. Actually, did you ever have AFOs made? Uh, yeah, yeah, I had one ankle splint and then I had two wrist splints. Are you wearing anything right now? 
No. AFOs like I don't I not not your underwear. No, I'm not naked. Okay, 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 good. I okay. Oh, and I also I, the biggest one actually, the one I was probably most insecure about was my back brace. It was like uh, this hard plastic molded uh, back brace with big Velcro straps that was the same as like a girdle, except it stuck out out my shirt, and you could see it. And I was so insecure, like, that there's no way to hide that I was doing it. I remember when I got the uh, rods put in my back, so I was so excited to just wear a shirt and be like, I'm just wearing a T-shirt. This is what everyone else is doing. I'm naked under this T-shirt. I think I've gotten to the point where I might need a back brace just because of my general discomfort levels on a daily basis. And I've... Since like 2010 or 2011, when my, when my back started, like when my asymmetry became noticeable, I've I've fantasized about having a straight back. <laughs> I would say look into the surgery before the back brace. Yeah, I'm so terrified of that surgery. Like I can't even, <laughs> like the, when I... The surgery is like, you get through it, it's crazy, it's so painful, and the recovery is the worst. Yeah. But then once you're through it and on the other side... You're pretty much just good to go. Yeah, that's what everyone says, except that I wish I would have done it like when I was in my late teens instead of now, because now if I like reach down to put on my socks, there's a chance I could throw out my back for the next two days. So I can't even imagine what like a full fusion of my spine would put me down for like what the next 30 years of my life. Well, you can also just get those grandpa hands that you can get for socks that you like put on the sock and then it you just you don't even have to reach down we've talked about grabbers repeatedly tony i i know it's not a grabber come on (laughs) it's like a it's like a thing that you put on so you don't have anyway whatever just get get the back brace then and you can just put that on every day and take it off every night yeah that doesn't sound fun either good point or you get the surgery you deal with two months of hell and then you're good to go. Because if you don't do it now, then in t- 10 years, you're like, oh, I wish I did it when I was in my 30s. That's true, I guess. We should make a, a, a very big medical decision for you right now on the podcast. On the podcast? Yeah, commit yeah. to getting my my spine fused by the end of 2021. Yeah, if we get a thousand listens by summer, by the first day of summer. When's that? Like June something? June 21st. You have to get your back brace. I mean, I guess it's a really good thing that I'm... Wait, are you committing? No. A thousand listens. I just, I think, okay, like of all the experiences in your life that you've described to me that have been really, really awful, you always seem to downplay like the amount of suffering that you directly went through. Like it just sort of seems like you're an impartial audience to an array of really unpleasant experiences. Yeah, part of that is a coping mechanism. Of course it is. And of course it's because you're a naturally hilarious person and you don't want to dwell on like the hard parts of your life. But for you to describe like like a surgical experience as hell must mean that I will think that it is like hellacious to like several degrees more. I don't know. It was hellacious for me, but for you, it'll just be salacious. Oh, it'll be sexy? Yeah. Okay, well, if you describe it that way, then fine. But as soon as I come, if I'm 
recovering in the ICU and coming off of the <clears throat> the T3s or whatever, and I'm not having a salacious time, I'm going to scream at you. I remember right after my back surgery, the nurse saw me wake up and she's like, all right, on a scale from one to 10, uh, what's your pain level right now? And I was like, 46. And she was like, oh, four to six, not bad. And I was like, 46. And she's like, oh, okay, we'll get you some pain meds, no problem. It was so painful. I also remember, this isn't going to sell you on it. No. It's a fun story. I remember the first time I had to take a shit after getting my rods in my back. Uh There was no way to, well, up until then I was doing the dreadful bedpan, which, you know, is honestly worse than the surgery. I I hated it so much that I was like, let me try sitting on the toilet. So they transferred me to the toilet. And as soon as I hit the toilet, it like because toilets are hard. Now I use a commode chair and the commode chair is nicely padded and it's actually quite comfortable. But an actual toilet seat, especially if you don't have a lot of junk in the trunk, it's very painful. <laughs> When you also have newly uh, installed titanium. Are you euphemistically telling me you have a flat ass, Tony? I don't know if it's flat, but I think that most of the mass is just hair. (laughs) Do you consider yourself bootylicious? I don't think you're ready for this, Jelly. (laughs) Okay, please continue to explain to me how unpleasant your pooping experience was. Right, so they tried to me to the toilet. And the titanium rods meeting the porcelain god was so painful that I just started screaming, take the rods out. Like, I was just like, take them out. I don't care. I'm not doing the surgery. Just take them out. I'll wear the back brace for the rest of my life. Like, I was, I was insistent that I was never going to get to it. You're the second person to tell me that they were bargaining at some point to get the rods out of them. Yeah, it was so painful. I can't. I don't think I can do this, Tony. I really don't think I can do it. But now it's fine. Fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> like anyone who's been through some crazy event, nobody thinks they can get through it. How many times has someone told you, man, if I was in a wheelchair, I would just kill myself? Yeah, well, those are just brittle-spirited assholes. Right, so you're saying you're also a brittle-spirited asshole when it comes to <laughs> Can we keep talking about the descendants? I just want to like tell you that also part of the reason I called it hellacious, and this wouldn't happen to you because you don't have the same disability, is because I, uh, right around this time, my lung collapsed. God. Uh, Because part of what was happening with my spine being curved so much was that my lung was constantly being squished by my spine. And so they straightened it out and I didn't really have the capacity to fully inflate. So it just basically folded under itself. Oh my God. That was honestly terrifying and probably set back my recovery like two more months. But you wouldn't go through that. And the surgery is probably better now. It's probably way easier. Some of your experiences honestly sound like they'd be part of a short story anthology like read by Oprah's book club. 
but like you're too much of an actual human being to be objectified by such a horrible, horrible club. You know what I mean? So they would never read your book. I don't think I'm above Oprah's book club. Why would they? What would the book be called? Uh, that's a good question. I don't know. Oh no, I'm just trying to pander to Oprah's fans. <laughs> just the letter O, and then no. Okay, well, let me think. Other books that have been in Oprah's book club, there's like Angela's Ashes. Let me Google this so I sound more informed. Oh no, my mouse fell on the ground. I don't think we need to Google the books in, in Oprah's book club. Okay, fine. As if you're reaching for your mouse for that. <laughs> McAllister. That's why you throw out your back. What were you doing? My <laughs> mouse is on the floor. What did you need it for? I was trying to figure out the full list of Oprah's book club. I just wanted you, like your short story anthology, to have like, uh, like the weight of something Oprah would read. I feel like you just wanted to be called it Tony's trash or something. <laughs> McAllis mishaps. I heard a a pretty funny book title from someone with CP called If at Birth You Don't Succeed. (laughs) Isn't that good? Who wrote that? Uh, It It wasn't Josh Blue, was it? No, it was Zach Anner. He was like big on YouTube for a bit and now I think he works for Rooster Teeth. He was also, he was in that episode of Drunk History that we watched. About um Bill five oh four. Yeah. He's done a bunch of funny stuff, but yeah, that's a great title. Are you reaching for your second mouse? For my coffee. So I thought it might be useful to draw some comparisons between the descendants and the theory of everything. Because even though she's in a coma and doesn't have a single acting role other than your job is to lie in bed, she still had more substance than the portrayal of Stephen Hawking. Yeah, Eddie Redmayne. The Hogwarts School of Physics and Bullshit. <laughs> I mean, it wasn't his fault. He did everything he was supposed to. I don't want to go through this again. <laughs> well, the the twist of the film is that it, uh, it turns out that George Clooney's wife was cheating on him. Yeah, you find out like it. In the beginning of the second act, maybe? Yeah, um, because uh, George goes to collect uh, his eldest daughter from boarding school to bring her back to their hometown so that um, he can sort of break the news to everyone in the same room and they can go about notifying the rest of the family. And the movie is about their sort of, or at first it's about them basically announcing that Elizabeth is going to die. Um, but when he brings his daughter back, she's like, I don't want to see mom. I don't care that she's in a coma. Uh, we've been fighting since Christmas. She's a total bitch. Uh, it's so typical of you not to realize, but she's been having an affair. And so George basically is like totally flabbergasted, completely blindsided. Uh, and he runs over to um, his sister-in-law's place and basically confronts her uh, because, you know, obviously Elizabeth and her sister confide in each other. And the fir- the person who would know um, all of the details of the situation would be the sister. And the, the, he's, he's shocked and saddened and deeply angry. Um, but when he goes to talk to her, they like exchange knives 
like the the dialogue is just so incredibly cutting and personal and it's like laden with like the history between Clooney and his wife and her like all of the familial dynamics are intrinsically baked into the dialogue like Alexander Payne is just a fucking man so good right and the wonderful thing is that um you know even though as Tony said Elizabeth um is completely unconscious like every scene of the film um seems to kind of linger on parts of the uh, of the room or of the current situation that stress Elizabeth is uh, Elizabeth's absence uh so you you constantly you're constantly thinking about her and how she relates to what's going on and what Mr. Clooney is trying to process and so there's this weird sense that she is fundamentally a key player, even though she's not there. And that just struck me as so interesting because, you know, Eddie Redmayne uh, basically like, again, had this supposed career defining performance in a theory of everything. And that's the cornerstone of the marketing of that particular movie. And yet he is one dimensional in comparison to Mr. Clooney's wife in this in the descendants. Yeah. It's like, it makes you kind of wonder what it really takes to write a three dimensional uh, disabled person. Well, that's not, I mean, just we've seen other movies where the disabled person was way more fleshed out than that movie. Yeah. But as, as an audience member, you're in this interesting kind of space where you, at the one, at the one sense you feel Clooney's absenteeism. So you sort of totally understand why Elizabeth would, would have to cheat on him. But at the same time, you sympathize with Clooney because he's a, like a really intelligent actor. Um, and like, you get the sense he really cares about his kid and this decision about the family's uh, land is really important to him. And just kind of the weight of the world is on his shoulders. Right. And, and in his monologue and in his eyes, you can see him bargaining with Elizabeth, like, hey, just if you pull through this coma, like I, I will try. I will I will, you know, spend more money to enjoy life with you. I will foster a better relationship with my daughters. I will be more of a of a presence in our lives. You know, I'll I'll patch things up with your father, uh, who's who is played incredibly by this guy named uh, Robert Forster, I think. Anyway, so yeah, there's this whole emotional soup just moving around this movie at all times. And even though nothing really happens, uh, like cinematically speaking or whatever, like it's a very slow burn of a film. Um, you feel so much for everyone, including Elizabeth, even though yeah. you don't even really know her. And the movie never flashes back to scenes of her uh, fighting with the daughter, for example, or ha like making issue with Clooney or re ever really being a difficult person. But because of the way that Clooney talks to Elizabeth when he visits her at her hospital bed, when he confronts her about having cheated and, you know, calls out uh, her times in their relationship or their marriage where she's been a total hypocrite in light of this revelation, it it's just so fucking good and i don't want to repeat all a lot of the dialogue because i want people to to experience it for themselves 
Why do you think it's a disability movie, though? <laughs> well, because of the of the fear that everyone has surrounding Elizabeth's situation. Like they're so afraid that initially, when they don't know that she's that she is going to die, they're afraid of what might happen if she were to wake up. And I wanted to wonder out loud with you. Sorry, excuse me. What this movie would look like if she did wake up. Like if the movie had endeavored to maybe understand how their marriage would have changed if she had woken up. Like what does it have to do with disability? Because uh, able-bodied people are scared of disability. Okay, I see where you're going, I think. So to able-bodied people, the fear of the unknown Mm -hmm. of what a disabled person might mean to them is similar to the fear that he might have had of how it would have gone if she woke up. Exactly. Yeah, and maybe. the the question the question sort of openly looms in that movie if it would be more difficult if she had lived. What if she had lived lived and was disabled? Mm-hmm. Is that what you're saying? Yes. If she woke up and was disabled after her waking up. Yes. Um, the, her youngest daughter even poses the question: Will mom still know what she knows when she wakes up? And Clooney's like, I have no idea. I'm sure it is what a lot of people go through, people that have been injured in an accident and then become paralyzed or quadriplegic. It would be the same fears as being like a parent or a loved one or someone to go through that and not really know what's coming next. And if they can deal with it. And there are scenes of the sister like visiting Elizabeth and applying her makeup, even though she sort of knows that that's a futile activity. And she talks to her, and she still treats her like she's present. Well, that's what you're supposed to do with coma patients, right? Yeah, yeah. So where the movie sort of falls off the rails with me is how Clooney decides to deal with her infidelity, uh, because he needs closure. And although he does sort of have several monologues with Elizabeth, where he talks out his anger with her in private it's not enough for him so he decides to find the person that she cheated with and and get all the gory details which for me seems like kind of an awkward wish fulfillment for other people who've experienced something similar uh, in a failed relationship and it doesn't really play out necessarily realistically and he also drags his older daughter along with the ride and it's sort of it's sort of framed as the activity that brings them closer together and ushers his daughter into adulthood but that doesn't really work for me because i think that's breaking a fundamental boundary between parent and child where the child should not be in a place to console the parent emotionally over their their marriage that, that should never happen because that that can really fuck you up I don't really like that part of the movie, even though how the movie navigates that infidelity and the the dimension that it lends to the uh, culprits, we'll say, like it is uh, very generous. So no one in this film uh, is less than three dimensions. I still don't really see it as like a disability movie. I get what you're saying. And yeah, like, I mean, being in a coma is 
disabled and many people who are disabled by injury that part of their life happens like they get an injury then they end up in a coma the people around them are looking to try to piece everything together and figure out how it's going to work and yeah and there's a before and an after there that i've never experienced myself and so i can't really testify to to what what that is like and i guess eventually we'll have some conversations on the podcast that will shed some light there yeah but but one other thing that i liked about what the movie did was that it it let people get angry at elizabeth despite her circumstance so it wasn't as though her being in a coma absolved her of her responsibility to her family that's a good point and of their need of their need to vent toward her you know like Clooney at no point said well fuck she cheated on me but she's in a coma so i better go easy on her like no he like that 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 emotion had to go somewhere and he did love her and he did feel a, a strong and profound sense of obligation toward her and he accepted that the tumultuousness that they weathered together was an essential part of who they were as a couple and it doesn't seem like there was dysfunction there but it didn't seem like something that was beyond them well there was that one scene where the kid was yelling at her and he was like no 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 you can't do that yeah well it's because you know like the father i mean you know respect your parents yeah you know you haven't left the house yet you're still you're not even 20 like you can't speak this way to your mom quite yet what i found really cool about the movie was that it really felt like a breakup happened yeah it like it, it felt like it felt like uh you're you're exactly right it felt like both like a traumatic incident had happened and then it somehow in the middle of all that like the 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 roller coaster of a breakup occurred as well yeah that's what i was able to relate to was like um you know i i think i've talked about here on on here before that i've been cheated on and i went through a lot of the same like the emotional arc that he goes through where first he's like in denial and then, well, I don't, I don't know the order of this, the grief, but like, then there's bargaining, and then there's anger. But like, even when he went to, uh, like, try to find him, when George Clooney went to go find the adulterer, yeah, yeah, because his friends knew about him. George Clooney's friends knew who the adulterer was and how he related to the family. Yeah, so George Clooney went to find the dude and <laughs> found the dude. And confronted the dude. Confronted the dude. And I've I've done that in in that one example. Like when the, the time I was cheated on, fortunately it's only been one time, but after, you know, like a terrible breakup and even worse heartbreak i eventually found myself trying to like go to spots where i knew she would be to to scope her out and like i don't it really doesn't help we've we've talked about this before in private you don't have a history of coping poorly with strong emotions and if it like you 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 needed some closure and at one point had an opportunity to 
see her in a way that wouldn't like raise alarm bells or hurt anyone. It was kind of hilarious the way it all shook out because karma really came around during my creepy patheticness. But like what happened was, so we broke up and then she was a nurse and I knew she worked at the hospital. I had an appointment at the hospital for something completely different. And then I was leaving the hospital waiting for my ride back and the ride was running late. So I was like, maybe I'll just take the, my own way home. It's pretty nice out. It was like mid, mid July or something. Uh, it was definitely summertime at least. So I was like, I'll just cancel my bus so that I can take my own way home, kind of enjoy the weather and whatever. So I canceled the bus and then I'm like, well, now I'm not tied to any schedule. So what if I just sit here like a complete creep outside <laughs> the hospital and then I know she'll eventually come out or go in or something if she's working today. I think she's working today. Pretty sure based on like my knowledge of her schedule, which is all so creepy. What was your goal, Tony? What was your goal? The thing is, I don't even know what my goal was. I think it was like to see her maybe one last time, maybe have her see me. I don't know. Maybe I watched too many movies and I thought we'd like reconcile right on the spot yeah. or something. I don't really know what my goal was. Did you still love her at the time? I think it was pretty soon after. Like months? With, I don't know, like weeks. Oh my goodness. And it had been like a couple of years of a relationship. Uh, so yeah, like I'm sure, I think it was like weeks. So yeah, I loved her still. I don't really know what my goal was. I knew that she was cheating and I knew the guy kind of, like we'd met at a party and that's how they met. So what ended up happening was I waited there for like a really pathetic amount of time. It was like, it was like one of those things where it's like you're 20 minutes in and they're like, okay, well, I'll wait another 10. And then you're 10 minutes in and you're checking the time like, oh, well, she probably starts at 3 and it's 2.45 now. So I'll just wait till 3. She'll probably be here before 3 anyway because, you know. How many of the buses that you should have taken to go home had passed through the hospital? Yeah, exactly. Like How, how many? That's a legit question. Like Two? I don't remember, but yeah, probably like less than five. What was your emotional state? Were you like, was your heart rate? Were you crying? What was happening? I wasn't crying. I was probably like, my palms were sweaty. My knees were weak and my arms were heavy. Vomit on your sweater already? Yeah, but it wasn't mom's spaghetti. She doesn't cook for me anymore. Okay, okay, okay. Keep going. Fast forward to, I see her walk out. Of the hospital. Of the hospital, yeah. To go have a smoke break. Were you in a, were you in like a, a, a different wheelchair, like a, a disguised wheelchair? Yeah, I had my baseball cap on and yeah. my sunglasses. So right. she definitely wouldn't have recognized me. <laughs> uh, yeah, I had my full Jason Bourne undercover outfit. You just had like a cardboard cutout, like a, like a profile of an able-bodied man? Yeah, with one of those holes where you put your face through. <laughs> No, I was in a reflective box. So all they would have seen was themselves. Oh, yeah. yeah. Hold, was, holding up a mirror to her awfulness. But I wasn't even at the point then where I thought she was awful. 
I was still at the point where I was in the bargaining phase. So I thought that, you know, maybe I should have been better and then she wouldn't have cheated on me or something like that. So anyway, I see her, she's having a smoke. And I realized in that moment, I really didn't know what I wanted because I didn't want to go over there and talk to her. And I wasn't really even sure if I wanted her to see me anymore. Yeah. I was like, oh, I don't really know if I want her to see me. And then if she does, what am I going to say? I'm sitting here waiting for the bus, except the bus stop is over there. Like, I don't, I really didn't have, I hadn't thought very far ahead. Right. So. I think you just wanted to remind her that you still existed. Maybe, or maybe like, maybe there was part of me that wanted her to see me and feel guilty or something. Okay. I don't know. I really don't remember what was going through my head. And I, I don't think I was really thinking much, to be honest. But eventually, a guy starts walking towards her, and she sees him and walks towards him. They hug, and I realize, oh, that's like the guy. I feel like if I was in your shoes at that moment, I just would have fell apart. I, I definitely felt, if anything, just the most pathetic. I was like, what am I doing here? Like, and she probably saw me at that point and just like tried to not notice me or maybe she really didn't see me. But I mean, I'm pretty hard to miss. Even in a disguise? Even in, yeah, even with like the cardboard cutout. Yeah. And I, I was, you know, those stilts that they wear at the circus? Yeah, yeah. I had those on too, so I was standing <laughs> and uh, I didn't even bring my wheelchair that day. I just, I just, uh, <laughs> I just rolled everywhere. Like actually rolled. Like, um, like stop, drop and roll. Yeah. Yeah. Like, a yeah. Okay. Yeah. Anyway. So yeah, she sees him, they hug. And then I'm like, well, what the hell? And then it starts to slowly start to rain. My, in that moment, if I, if I was there in that moment, my heart would have just fell out of my asshole. Like it would have just been gone. Yeah, completely, completely separate from my body. I I could not handle well, that. As we've talked about, I I don't have much junk in the trunk, so <laughs> like it would have been easy for that to happen. Yeah, it wouldn't have been much stopping it. But, but in that moment, it starts to rain, and I would have already been home by now. Yeah, I'd, I'd canceled the bus. Just a minute. The second they embraced, it started to rain. It was so ridiculous how poetically timed this whole thing was. And maybe the timing is a bit off, but the way I remember it is this way because of how pathetic I was feeling. Yeah. And so I was like writing the movie in my head. Yeah. What is the term for when the weather reflects the mood? Is that is that uh, onomatopoeia? No, that's when people like golden showers, I'm pretty sure. Oh, yeah. Okay, okay. Onomatopoeia. I want to pee on you. Yeah, that's what it's called. <laughs> It starts to rain. I'm realizing I've really actually messed up now because I don't know if we've mentioned this before, but I don't know if you've ever been stuck in a situation where rain can literally make your chair stop working. Six times that's happened to me. Oh, that's interesting that you kept count. Yeah, because every time I'm angry at myself for not wearing a joystick condom. Right. Yeah, I have one on permanently now. Yeah. Don't be a fool. Yeah, you gotta wear protection. Yeah, the rain will fuck you. So the rain fucked you. The rain fucked me. 
And gave you gave you syphilis? So I had wheelchair syphilis, <laughs> which is the equivalent. Okay, so let me, let me finish the story. So like, first of all, they start running because they see the bus coming and they see that it's raining. Uh-huh. They start running to the bus and uh-huh. I could have made that bus. Yeah. But I was like, that's even more pathetic to just end up on the same bus as them. Oh, so yeah. I have to wait for the next bus. Imagine if you were on the same bus as them. Yeah, because I didn't want to be on the same bus because I was already feeling like the biggest loser. I uh, wait for the next bus, get on, and then I get to the transfer station and I have to wait for another bus. But at this point, it's absolutely pouring rain. And basically, I get off the bus and try to head towards the uh, the bus shelter to try to stay dry. And my chair gets so wet in that three seconds of being in the rain that it just shuts off because that's what happens. Right. It just shorts. Yeah. And then you're fucked. You're stuck in a big metal box that no one that, that is really difficult to move, by the way, even when you put it in manual mode. Well, they're like 350 pounds. Yeah, that you need like like three strong boys to push that shit. Yeah, so I was stuck there, and people just thought I didn't know what to do. Cause that's, so they started coming up to me, be like, do you need help? Like, do you know where you're going? They yeah. thought I was just stuck in the rain, sitting in the rain, being like, wonder where my bus is, not realizing that there's a shelter right next to me. I hate when I put myself in situations where I give able-bodied strangers the chance to infantilize me. It's the worst feeling. Yeah, I don't I don't hate myself for that. I just hate that we haven't educated people enough to realize that there's a chance that they're fully aware of the situation. Yeah. They're just fully not able to do anything about it. Yep. As usual, the healthier perspective. So eventually people are like, do you need help? And I'm like trying to show and I can't talk very loud and the rain is coming down so hard that I can't even talk louder than the rain. <laughs> <laughs> You're literally being drowned out yeah. by the rain. So like I'm trying to do sign language but my hands don't work. <laughs> Eventually you just have to like fart out Morse code. <laughs> <laughs> like somehow that's louder than my voice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just like SOS, my butthole. Like you have no ass, but you got a whole lot of fart power. I do have good fart power. I'm not trying to brag, but. (laughs) So uh, one of the bus driver, like the bus company's supervisors sees me in the rain. He's like, get inside. It's raining. (laughs) What an asshole. Like, I don't know. Yeah, like yeah. I didn't realize, oh, I thought I was just peeing myself. <laughs> this is so me. It happens to me all the time. Out of nowhere, I just start peeing from the sky. I was like, yeah, I, I can't move. And so their instinct, every time I say I can't move, their instinct is to just try driving my chair. Like, oh, I haven't thought of that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh, it's this thing right here. Yeah, and That's have you how noticed I move my chair? You notice how they always like grab it as though like it's like a video game joystick, and they just put put it to like the furthest possible point. Yeah, and they're like, "Oh, this could this will be fun." And then you just drive into a bus. Yeah, 
or or a curb or some somebody's shins or an old lady's walker or a baby crunch crunch. And because my hands are so weak, my joystick is actually set up so it's so sensitive. Mm-hmm. So that I don't have to push it very far to start going full speed. So yeah. like nobody else can actually drive my chair. Yeah. And yeah, anyway, I have to explain to him using butthole morse code <laughs> that I need to put my chair in manual. Mm-hmm. And you always know, I've been in a situation a few times, especially in the rain, where people offer to help, but then I think they quickly regret it because they realize the amount of work that's going to be required to yeah. help you is yeah. way more than the amount of feel good that they were hoping for that day. Yeah, that's actually so funny. I feel like we could make like a whole series where we um, kind of like con people into uh, committing to a degree of goodwill that they don't actually have. <laughs> oh, yeah, I've thought about doing that, like an Eric Andre style show. Yeah. Where I just go up to like the cashier and be like, hey, do you mind grabbing my wallet in my bed? Like, yeah, no problem. No, but... Yeah. And then like, oh, it looks like my health card is expired. Do you yeah. mind just walking with me to City Hall? So that I can get some help renewing my health card and just like seeing how far you can pull them along. If you could have like a full day with a stranger that you recruited from behind a service desk counter. Yeah. Yeah. yeah the, 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 there is this idea that uh, a certain kind of kindness in certain contexts is condescending and that that condescension is worse, in fact, than the net benefit of the kindness. That's a really hard concept to explain to able-bodied people. Yeah. I've also tried to play it in my head or how funny would it be to do that to a bus driver and be like, hey, when you drop me off here, do you mind just opening the door over there for me? And they'll be like, yeah, no problem. You'll get out of the bus, open the door. And I'll be like, oh, actually, do you mind hitting the elevator button too? <laughs> yeah. And then they'll hit the elevator button. I'll be like, hey, do you mind if you just help me open my door to my apartment? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then they open the door to my apartment. And do you actually mind if I change my shirt? Yeah, you want to have dinner together, yeah. And then you just start, like, demanding stuff. Like, like all right, so I'm going to have rice for dinner. The rice is over <laughs> there in the top drawer. So if you could just open up that cupboard. Uh, my rice cooker is over there, too. Yeah, right there. See the red one? Yeah, that's the rice cooker. So if you just take that out, plug it in for me, that'd be great. And then you just, like, just see how far until eventually they have to go. You're like, okay, no problem. Before you go, though, do you mind just helping me in the bathroom? <laughs> yeah, you, you make a YouTube video called uh, How to Enlist a Bus Driver to Cook You Chicken Vindaloo. <laughs> Although that'd be fun. Just like go to the grocery store, buy all the groceries, and then be like, all right, could you just come with me and help me cook this, please? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so yeah, uh, this pers- poor person... I'm starting to feel bad because he is getting drenched in the rain. Uh, and But I need him also. Yeah. Because otherwise I'm literally just stuck here forever. Right. Because it's not like once your chair turns off in the rain, the only thing that helps is to let it dry out for hours, like mm-hmm. up to up to a day. Yeah, you have to drive it into a, a closet full of rice. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you have to drive to China yeah. and then just sit in a rice field for three days. 
<laughs> and that's way harder than busting home from the hospital after spying on your ex. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I didn't want to do that. I didn't have an updated passport because <laughs> the cashier at the LCBO wouldn't come with me to City Hall. <laughs> oh, dude. <laughs> anyway, so he ends up eventually, I talk him through how to put my chair in manual. He wheels me onto the bus. I'm just basically praying that by some miracle, I will be able to, my chair will start turning on again right before I get off the bus. But it's only like a 10-minute bus ride. And, and also, also, why would fortune suddenly rule in your favor? Yeah. Yeah. It hasn't been on my side for literally months since she broke up with me. No. <laughs> so, and this day in particular was just God being like, are we done? <laughs> so it doesn't end up working on its own. I have to call an attendant who lives, works in my building. And again, get them to go above and beyond because they're not supposed to leave the premises. And so I have to get her to come out to the bus stop, which is like, you know, a one minute walk away, but still outside of their scope mm -hmm. and get her to come onto the bus, wheel me off the bus and push me to my apartment. And so all that to say, this came up when I was watching The Descendants with you. Yeah. He was going around, George Clooney was going around chasing the dude. Uh, you were like, that's, that's where it lost me. That's, where, that's what you said. You're like, I can't relate to that. I would never be able to track someone down that I knew was cheating on me with. But I was like, well. You're like, hold my straw. Yeah, hold my feeding tube. So, so you liked the movie. <laughs> <laughs> it was a great movie. I just, I'm not convinced that it was a disability movie. Obviously, like, that was a fun anecdote that it reminded me of. And a very disability anecdote. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I don't think, I mean, I don't regret watching it. And I still think it's a great movie to talk about because of some of the things. But I think we're definitely stretching it a bit. Well, if only to set you up to tell that story, I'm really glad we watched it. And I don't think I need to talk about it any further because I want other people to enjoy it the way I did. Yeah, it is a good movie. And I think that people should watch it just purely based on the fact that it's very good at storytelling and character development. And acting, but also like cinematography is great. Who doesn't want to live in Hawaii, by the way? And there's also something reassuring in the fact that somebody as like uh, like intrinsically beautiful as George Clooney uh, could be susceptible to heartache. Yeah, especially because he gives such a uh, convincing performance that you know it's coming from a real place. Mm -hmm. So it's like, okay, cool. This guy's been through stuff too yeah you can feel him you can feel his windedness as he cannot digest all of the bullshit swirling around him at once like multiple forms of grief simultaneously that seem to conflict with one another well he was a man of constant sorrow is that oh that's a reference to a coen brothers film yeah or rather yeah. oh what a good movie tony i thought i was supposed to be the one that made obscure references that yeah uh, that's it, one of my favorite anytime that song, song comes on i just belt it out yeah it's such a fun tune is that one that you and your dad used to sing or something 
No, I watched it alone. I don't know why. I think it was, maybe it was like to try to relate to my parents' taste in music. But I, yeah, that song really, I do play that album when my parents are here and my dad loves it. We should explain that your dad is a, a musician and he's quite talented. Yeah, he's like a sort of folk country bluegrass kind of dude. Yeah. And he plays a mandola, which is like a smaller version of a mandolin. He also has some definite lyrical chops when it comes to writing his own songs. So your affinity for song comes from him, right? All this Alanis? And my affinity for parody, yeah, because he'll write he'll write parodies for sure. Cool. He'll take a song and then turn it into a parody. He was always kind of like, he has such a goofy sense of humor that really, I think I got from him just like, Everything is ridiculous. You don't have to take anything seriously. Yeah. Like sometimes I'll be like eating dinner. I'll be the last one at dinner. So just so I don't feel lonely at the table, he'll just find some random thing in the fridge and be like, you know what mayonnaise is backwards, Anthony? <laughs> it's in a yogurt. <laughs> and then he'll just walk away. <laughs> and that was like, that was like what he did for jokes. I, I, uh, I have an awkward disability story of the week. Do you want to do that? Yeah, I don't I don't think we have time for our wheel breakers today. We're almost at the two hour mark. Yeah, we're at 90 minutes. Okay, okay. <clears throat> so my awkward disability story. Again, I apologize to our viewers, uh, but it pertains to my feet. Oh, come on. I know. I'm sorry, Tony. Let's skip it. Skip it? Okay, okay. <laughs> okay, so the hardest part of my like uh, personal hygiene routine is putting on socks like uh, like from from bed to shower to fully clothed without socks <laughs> it's about 25 minutes and then the story better not be 25 minutes <laughs> To put socks on is 20 minutes. It's hard. To, and it, like my hamstrings are uh, are so tight, you could play guitar with them. Well, that's why you got to get one of these. I'm going to send one to you. They're made specifically for grandpas like you who can't reach your own feet. I can reach my feet. It's just hard. It takes forever. Yeah, and I have to hear about it every week. <laughs> well, the point of what I was going to try to say is that so during COVID in the morning, I quite often don't put socks on until the middle of the day because I don't wake up until like 11 o'clock, like three hours into my day. And that's when I have like kind of the range of motion and the energy to put socks on by myself. But the problem is I wake up and I go down the hallway and I greet, I greet my parents. And the first thing out of my dad's mouth every single day is, good morning, Joe, your feet are blue. And, and I'm like, yeah, I know I, I'm not wearing socks. And he's like, yeah, you need to wear socks. It's not healthy for your feet to have a blue complexion. And it's, he, he says this to me every day, every day. Well, because you never listen. But I, I, and I, he knows how hard it is to put the socks on and he's not offering to help. He, he's just being a, a shit. <laughs> and so, you know, so finally I just said to him, I'm like, Dad, I'll put my socks on at eleven when I have when I can bend down and fucking put them on. It's like I, I'm 32. You don't have to tell me my feet are blue every morning. 
like a simple good morning is is fine. I'm just gonna start texting you randomly during the day about your feeder bro. <laughs> but it, it's like I, I I don't know. It's like if you you know had a little extra weight around your waistline and you woke up every day and your dad was like, "You're looking chubby there, Mister Joe." It's just like it's not a, it's not useful information, and it just makes me feel shitty. So you want him to be like, "Let me go get your socks and put them on." Maybe I like I I recognize it could be hard for him. So what part of I'm 32 did are you trying to wrap your head around? Well, just that I'm an adult and. You don't go around telling other adults that they, you don't point out people's flaws to them it, like as a, as a morning greeting. I mean, maybe it's just because you're self-conscious. I don't think he's doing it to point out your flaws. I don't think he's like, hey, Joe, you're disabled still. Good morning. That's what they do. No, he's not doing that. Okay, fine. I think he's more just like, hey, uh, just don't forget to put socks on again. They know I have a severe like S curvature in my lower back and they tell me to sit up like three or four times a day. The problem is that no matter how old you are, if you live with your parents, you are in some way a child. Is it more childish for him to say your feet are blue, put some socks on or to say, let me go get your socks and put on your sockies? <laughs> well, I mean, the, the, what I was trying to say is don't, don't uh, raise a problem without a solution. Yeah, I, you're right. I'm being petty, but it's 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 a b- embarrassing disabled story of the day. It's 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 petty. I've heard. Don't raise a problem without a solution before. From a, a coworker. Yeah, that's also if sometimes not a very good way of looking at things because not all problems have solutions. Well, not all problems have solutions, and sometimes you're bringing a problem out just so that everyone can come up with a solution together. Like, you don't have to be the one to find the problems and always have the solutions. You know, he might be saying, like, hey, your feet are blue. I don't really know what the, pro- the solution is, but, like, you should you should know that in case you don't know. But I know my feet are blue. You know that I know that my feet are blue and I can't shut up about it. Yeah, that's true. You probably should get compression socks, honestly. I want to wear compression socks about as badly as you do. Yeah, but it does help. <laughs> you want to be in a wheelchair too, but you're doing it. Yes, Tony. Anyway, I get it. I'm not really on your side because your feet are blue, and I'm kind of sick of talking about your feet. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I promise I'll talk about a different part of my body next week. I hope that's not blue too. <laughs> blue balls. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I yeah. Uh, I hope that you uh, get over yourself and get one of those sock. Helpers. Okay. You put the so what it is is you put it's like an AFO. <laughs> okay. And you put the sock over the AFO, and yeah. then you put your foot on the AFO. Isn't that pre- presuming that putting the AFO on is easier than putting the sock on? It is because you just lie on the floor, and it has strings, so you don't even have to bend over, and but then you pull on them. Only if it puts my only if it puts itself on my foot will it be easier than a sock. It basically does. Okay. I'm going to send you one. You're going to buy it. You're going to try it. Okay, Anthony. Thank you. I think you'll like it. I think it'll help. (laughs) See, you're the only friend that I have that can judge me on this front. So I am thankful to you. See, but you brought up a problem without a solution and I solved it. (laughs) (laughs) And you do the same thing uh, at work as well. So now I know better than... (laughs) Okay. Anyway. I also wanted to bring up DNRs. Oh, right. 
Here's here's how I'll ask you another round of wheel breakers. Or wheel or no wheel. I, okay, here's I thought about that. I think we still call the segment wheel breakers, uh-huh. but then after we pitch the wheel breaker, we have to end it with so wheel or no wheel. Damn, dude, I like that. Because then we get the best of both worlds, right? Yes. Do we still give royalties to our friends? Yeah, absolutely. They deserve it. Okay, okay. So I can make you fully able-bodied. Uh-huh. Because I am a wizard. Yep. The only issue is you have a very strict DNA, which stands for do not resuscitate, which uh-huh. means if you ever end up in the hospital, they're not going to do anything to help you. Like at all? Yeah. You're like palliative level DNR, where they like won't even like do anything to help. So like I go stub my toe and I'm like dead? Well, you're going to die from stubbing your toe. Okay, you're just saying that if something happens to me that is life-threatening, then I'm then I'm toast. Yeah, like you you basically can't get medical help. So do you really think that I'm liable for something severely life-threatening to happen to me if I were able-bodied suddenly? That's the question. Like, would you like be very very careful living your life, or is it such a boring life after that that you would rather be in a wheelchair i don't know i live a f- incredibly boring life right now like I, I, what 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 could even happen to me i fall out of the log at mall of america <laughs> yeah yeah i do it I, I i'm not an adventurous person i i've never but you don't think you'd want to be more adventurous if you became disabled or able-bodied not really like most like high-risk able-bodied sports don't appeal to me they look stupid I think I'd be really into hiking if I could. Not that that's like high risk. But. Hiking's different. Like I wouldn't free climb a mountain. I'd, I'd hike. Yeah. I'd play soccer, I guess. But if you like twist your ankle at soccer, you just have to walk it off. Oh, the, the, the hospital doesn't treat me at all? No. What if I get a sore in my heel? <laughs> no, you have to just wait for it to heal on its own. God. You can, you can self, you can like... You know, trying to make your own splint or soak your foot in uh, water. <laughs> what if I get syphilis on my nose? It's done. Got to get rid of the nose. <laughs> um, yeah, I do it. I, I do nothing. I don't do anything. So is it wheel or no wheel? Wait, <laughs> does wheel mean deal or no wheel means I would choose not to be disabled? Oh, that's a good point. Yeah, no, I think. <laughs> Wheel means you have to stay in your wheelchair. Okay, no wheel. No wheel. Yep. <laughs> no wheel. Um. So I have a stupid one. All right. So you don't have to be disabled, but at the end of every sentence, mm-hmm. you, you have to say dude. Like, can I choose how I say it? Yes. Or is it always like, dude? No, it's just, you just have to say dude. I get married and my vows are like, do you take this woman to be your bride? I'm like, I do, dude. <laughs> exactly. Or like, sorry for your loss, dude. But I'm able-bodied. I feel like I'd have to be a surfer. Yeah, that's true, dude. Like, do I want to be a surfer is what it comes down to. Yep. I, I grow my hair out, be a surfer, get the like, brown beaded necklace or like the shark tooth 
Netflix. You basically start you 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 start uh, worshiping Jeff Bridges. Right. Oh, I did. Oh, I did. Let me think about this, dude. So every time I want to say anything, dude, I have to say, dude. Yeah, which means you have to call your girlfriend, dude, a lot, and they she might not like that. Yeah, but she's a surfer, dude, too, chick. You know? Oh, that's true, dude. She's chill about it, dude. You don't even know that. Yeah, that's true, dude. No, I I would get sick of it so quickly, dude. Dude, I would really quickly. I already hate how much I say it, and I hate how much I say like, and I hate how much I say um. So if I'm forced to say dude all the time, it would drive me crazy. So, and it, we, it would be we'll... an act. I would be acting. It wouldn't be. I wouldn't be like actually a surfer guy. I purposely didn't say surfer dude. I would just pretend to be so that I could be. No, I wouldn't do it. No, dude. No deal, dude. I would real. <laughs> cool. Are we good, dude? Are we good, dude? Shall we bid everyone a dude? Yeah, let's let's bid everyone a dude. But first, I want to try my hand at a user-submitted song. One of our dear friends wrote a song for us. Oh, God. Sent it to me. Did he vocalize it or just, he just sent the lyrics? Just sent me the lyrics. Oh, damn, dude. They sent us the lyrics and I'm going to try my hand. Of vocalizing it to the tune I think it's supposed to go to. Okay, go for it. <clears throat> I to, it's, it's hard to just randomly bust out in the song, you know? Yeah. I find it helps to say dude a couple times. I think this might help too. Like a couple more air horns. That's you like doing that with your lungs, right? That's not a, that's not a stock sound. No, no, no. I, that's... I'm practicing various impressions. Right. And the right, first right. one was an air horn. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's another version I've, I've tried, but. Yeah. It doesn't. Uh, it's not. It doesn't. It's not a full body version. Your first no, one is better. The other one. Let me. Much better. Yeah. Spot on. All right. Let's see if you recognize the tune. said you wipe my ass, but I'm still feeling some shit. And when you brush my teeth, these molars covered in grit. I ran two times before, goddamn you know it took three. Treat every wheel the same, this time you won't mistreat me. She says I'm way out of line, that my requests are insane. Too few attendants on staff, and there's no one to blame. I looked her deep in her eyes, this wheel is ready to pump. I know there's no turning back, I let that fucking my job. Shitty attendants, no. Shitty attendance, no. Shitty attendance, no. Shitty attendance, no. No. Anyway, yeah, so thanks. If you uh, want to <laughs> submit lyrics and have me do that, uh, feel free because. That was that was pretty fun. How many? I don't know the the melody to that song. <laughs> I just nailed it. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> but shout out to our good friend 
Michael, who has, you know, been a great supporter of this podcast, mm-hmm. and also uh, the creator of the lyrics of that song. And even more than that, he was the the genius behind our logo. So, uh, you know, we're, we've had some great comments on our cover art, all the way from love your cover art to this looks like directions to a toilet. And we appreciate all of them. Yeah, especially the insulting ones. <laughs> the insulting ones are hilarious. <laughs> but yeah, um, we just wanted to give that, give that shout out because he's been amazing. We'll, we'll link to his portfolio website in case you also would like a banger design from him. Or maybe you want him to write you a, a lyrics. I don't know. Should we end it there? I think so. All right. One more plan, plan, plan. Peace out, dude.